Making sure you and your loved ones can live comfortably in the future starts with choices you make today. At RBC Wealth Management, they can help you make the right choices in using the assets you've built up over a lifetime. Whether it's leaving something for your loved ones, enjoying your own retirement, or giving to a favorite charity, RBC Wealth Management will help you plan for the coming years and the coming generations. Call the Quigley Group at the Eau Claire office of RBC Wealth Management at 715-858-7788 to see how they can help. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another installment of Dose of Dog presented by Embark. Check out Embark online, social media, right here in the Chippewa Valley and the person who helps head it all up here at Embark. Classes and doggy daycare and all of that is Heather. She's across the way. Heather, how's it going? It's good. We had some cold days there, but it's a little bit warmer today, so that's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording this podcast in the the, de the dead of winter, so you know, one one day you're praying for your car to start, the next day uh, you're not quite breaking out the shorts, but you can see spring. <laughs> Although uh, there are people that'll be wearing shorts today, I suspect, <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> that's always a <laughs> sign that uh, that spring is somewhat around the corner. Well, not really, but. And a reminder to everybody, go back and listen to all of the previous episodes that we have. Uh, there's something for everyone with uh, the Dose of Dog podcast, and uh, Heather takes you through a number of things. And uh, today uh, you, you want to talk about something that's sort of a, a basic concept, but I know you'll, you'll really dive into it in the next uh, 20 or so minutes, meeting your dog's needs. I, I don't know whether if you're a parent, you got to meet your kid's needs. If you're a uh, spouse, you got to meet your uh, your significant other's needs. You got to meet your work needs. Well, a dog, too, has needs, and I know you want to touch on that today. Yes. Gosh, this is just uh, a subject I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. You know, I, I, my biggest role here is as a behavior consultant, and this is a big piece of, of a lot of my work when people come in to see me. We talk a lot about, um, you know, where some of these behavior issues are stemming from. And gosh, a lot of the times, and, and in behavior consulting and in classes, I guess my, my instructing staff would probably agree that a lot of the times the behavior issues that we're seeing that when when dogs are exhibiting undesirable behaviors in the home, outside of the home, um, kind of in general, a lot of the times their needs aren't being met. And I think this is kind of a, gosh, a pocket of research and a pocket of science that that has really kind of unfolded in the last several years. You know, um, Kim Brophy is someone that I'll probably reference quite a bit and Molly Sumridge. Um, in a lot of their work in ethology and applied ethology, which is kind of a field of looking at, you know, this particular creature um, from an ethology lens, what were they genetically bred to do? Um, and I think with dogs, we we sometimes have the the lassie complex, as we call it in dog training, where we get a dog and we 
think that that dog is would like to lay on the couch to please us and just kind of be our constant companion, which, yes, a lot of the times that's very true. But I think we forget that our dogs aren't here to please us. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there are times, obviously, we love our dogs and they love us. But I think a, a big piece of our relationship is looking at that animal's needs. And so... You know, looking at, I thought we'd talk a little bit about breed specifics because that's a big contributor to kind of some of the behavior issues I guess I see in a lot of my caseload. Um, and maybe some of the pieces that people might be seeing at home and, and what do those things look like? What's the explanation for them? And then how do we meet that, meet that dog's needs? You know, I think dog training is really coming around with the work that's being done in canine cognition and learning. And we're looking at, at you know, this particular breed. What were they bred to do? And, and some of the behavior issues that you're potentially seeing at home or you may potentially see over a lifetime is that stemming from what that dog's genetics are telling them to do and that dog isn't being able to do it. And it's it's you know, being exacerbated in this urban setting where the dog isn't able to do some of those things. And then you're seeing behavior issues kind of stem from that um, in, in a lot of situations. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get into, I guess, how our expectations of a dog sometimes clash with what the genetics of the dog are telling them. And it's no fault of the dogs, you know, they, they have very specific genetic keys that are um, trying to tell them what they should be doing. And sometimes that's not really appreciated in, in a family setting or an urban setting or an apartment setting or whatever those things might look like. So, so what do I mean by that? And, and what does it look like if a dog is exhibiting, I guess, behavior issues that you're seeing that might be stemming from unmet needs? So let's take an example of a dog I probably see every day um, that maybe could be exhibiting some behavior issues. And when I say behavior issues, it's, it's probably just a behavior that the dog is maybe genetically being driven to do that just isn't meeting the expectations of what we thought our dog would do. So, you know, a really good example of this are herding dogs. You know, herding dogs are a pretty popular breed, the border collies, the corgis, the Aussies, the cattle dogs, the healers. Um, and so, I mean, if we look at what herding breeds, and I'd like to kind of break down every uh, group of dogs, a little bit at least, um, you know, what were they bred to do? They were bred to be really hyper vigilant about their environment. And and what I always tell clients is, is you know, yes, your Border Collie is going to notice everything. I mean, they would be really awful at their job <laughs> out in a, in, a, in a rural setting, you know, managing a flock of sheep if they didn't see like the ear twitch of a sheep 600 feet away or hear something um, in the distance, um, you know, from a shepherd or a person or whatever that might be. And so we, we take these dogs who have been bred to be hypervigilant about their environment and we put them in an urban setting where there are a lot of moving parts. There are cars, there are bikes, there are people walking past the house, there are vacuums, there are um, motorcycles, there are skateboards. And that dog's genetics are telling them to be attentive to all of those things. And so a lot of those dogs, they, they, you know, this is a need that they have that their genetics are saying, be attentive to all those things. And, and we're trying to correct them, 
you know, by by not noticing those things, which goes against every kind of genetic component that dog has in its body. Now, when I talk about these things, obviously, you know, there's the dog that falls on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the lazy border collie that just wants to like sleep on the couch, which I honestly don't know a lot of those. <laughs> but it certainly could be. Um, you know, we always have the 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 whole spectrum of, of behavior within a, even within a breed or a family, I guess. So that obviously it, it can be a, a different piece. But but again, if you look at what the genetics of this dog says, we have genetically selected for these traits over hundreds of years. And then now they're living in an urban setting and we're getting upset that the dog is noticing everything. Well, of course it is. I mean, it's genetics are telling them that. So I think my, my purpose, I guess, in delving into this conversation today is, is I really want people to look at what, what, the needs of their dogs are and how do we meet them so we don't create a dog that kind of goes crazy you know living in a in an urban setting where their genetics are telling them to do one thing and their their pet parent is telling them don't ever do that you know that's annoying to me so so i think looking at our dogs at, as these sentient beings that we live with and looking at what were they bred to do is something that's really important if you're going to have a good relationship with a dog um, you know, and a lot of people have mixes out there and I think it's a, I think it's awesome to do, you know, some kind of genetic dive into what they are because it can give us a lot of information as to the whys that they do things, um, you know, and kind of give you an idea as to, you know, what, you know, your dog is part, you know, whatever breed that could be beagle, let's say, okay, how can we meet that dog's needs, you know, genetically, because we know that that genetic information isn't going to change. Um, it's kind of who they are. So the herding breeds, again, we have a lot of hypervigilance, a lot, a lot of sound sensitivity in, in herding breeds. Um, they're probably the number one referred breed to um, veterinary behaviorists, I would say, for, for sound sensitivity. Um, Karen Overall is doing some, Dr. Karen Overall, which a lot of you are familiar with her work, um, is doing some cool work with a group of veterinarians in the UK and looking at a, a tool that we can we can look at neonatal puppies and kind of follow them and and what she's looking at is how can we determine later in life those dogs that may be at more at risk to be sound sensitive and how can we curate some kind of methods to to add into their neonatal experience to create a dog that's more confident around sounds later in life so that's some really cool work i mean it's a long time out there but i think that's really um, needed because gosh I see dogs that are so paralyzed by by sound issues um, so so herding breeds we kind of talked about you know their their hypervigilance to their environment um, you know they're they're herding so you know we often get the complaint of the corgi that lives with five small children and is biting them on the ankles well of course he is <laughs> you know that's what they were bred to do so I think before you get a dog and even if you after you get a dog it's really really important to look at what their genetics are telling them to do because that's going to rule a lot of the behaviors that they have and there is there a way that we can help them meet some of those needs that they have so that we don't see um you know a dog that this behavior keeps escalating and escalating until the point where they're so frustrated that there is an incident for some reason. You know, they bite someone, they grab someone by the ankle, they they have all this frustration built up because their genetics are telling them one thing and we're telling them not to do that. So herding breed is one that that we see a lot of um, um, 
behavior issues that or, or maybe needs, I guess, that just aren't being met. Um, the working breeds. So we'll kind of, you know, divide that maybe into more the guardian type breeds, um, you know, mastiffs and and Great Danes and the dogs that were maybe bred to um, guard something, even the livestock guard dogs like Great Pyrenees and, you know, Tibetan Mastiffs and Anatolian Shepherds and some of the primitive breeds. Um, you know, sometimes you see a lot of resource guarding in those dogs. And again, resource guarding, to go back and reiterate what that is, is when the dog has a resource and it doesn't really want anyone to come near it. So you see behaviors like hovering over it and growling and barking when someone comes by that resource. Well, you know, what is the whole goal of an Anatolian Shepherd or a Great Pyrenees or an um, Italian Murma Sheepdog or a, um, you know, the, the variety of livestock guard dogs is, is to guard something. <laughs> and so of course, when people come to the house, they're going to bark and they're going to guard. We say, we tend to see more, um, you know, guard type issues in those dogs because their genetics are telling them, um, you know, Hey, this is, this is something that, that, that our genetics are saying we need to guard this thing. It's really important. So I think that's something to consider, you know, and, and again, it goes back to that kind of lassie complex where, you know, if you get a, uh, you know, an Anatolian shepherd, they're not going to be like a golden retriever. Like they're, they're what their genetics are telling them is very different. And that's why we love the different breeds, right? Because they're not all the same, you know, there's a lot of diversity in dogs and what they like. And so it's, it's cool to see that, um, fiercely loyal to their family. Um, so, so again, the guard dogs, that's something that you'll see a lot. Um, there's some really cool, cool work that Molly Sumbridge, she's at Carroll College in Montana, um, is doing some cool work in the primitive dog world. And she, I did, I was just on a webinar of hers on primitive dogs and, oh, so fascinating on kind of the, the really old breeds kind of, you know, she, her particular work is in New Guinea singing dogs, but she talks about Shiba Inus and, and Tibetan Mastiffs and Padinkos and some of the sighthounds and, um, just kind of some of the isms that they have and how can we embrace those. Um, I'll maybe we'll link some of her work in the show notes because of her it's it's utterly fascinating and she's fabulous to listen to and and wonderful and her information is great. Um, and her website is really, really informative for people that own those breeds, the really old breeds. Um, so working dogs, getting back to working dogs, huskies. I mean, gosh, huskies are like the cutest puppies in the whole universe, but you know, they were bred to run for eight straight hours and I don't know a lot of people that are going to have time for that during the day. Um, lots of separation anxiety or isolation stress in those dogs. Um, uh, some tactile stuff sometimes that will maybe go along with that. Um, so think about that. You know, if you get a breed that was physically bred to run for eight straight hours, um, you know, with very few breaks, how is that dog going to, how are his needs going to be met if you live in an apartment, if you live in a place where you can't get them out for long, you know, periods at a time outside? Um, I think that's just something you really, really have to consider when you look at, you know, that cute puppy, um, you know, his genetics are going to say, this is what I need. And if we don't meet those, you're going to see a lot of behavior issues that are going to start to kind of come up. Um, the hounds, I mean, that's another breed that we get a lot of complaints that they bark a lot, but their genetics are telling them 
and what we as humans have curated over the years is a dog that's really good at alarm barking and they're really good at saying um hey you know there's a there's a there you know they chase something up a tree they're alerting to some kind of a uh you know whether it's a raccoon or a bear or whatever it might be um they're really good at barking and their genetics have made them really, really efficient at it. And again, now you have a, you know, tree walker coon hound that lives in an apartment and you're gone for eight hours. Barking is a really natural behavior for that breed. Um, you know, my friends that are in hounds, they embrace it. Like they love it. <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons that they love hounds. They have that, that comical kind of little bark. So that's something to consider. And lots of hounds in the shelter these days, which is really sad. They're just such a emotional, you know, loyal dog. Um, it's sad to see them in that kind of an environment. Um, but a lot of them end up in the shelters because, you know, whether they're lost on a hunt or the barking sometimes is a lot of the, the reason that these dogs are relinquished. Um, but it's so in their, in their nature to do that. And, and that's why we love hounds. They have the cute, adorable little bay um, of a hound dog. Uh, terriers, um, gosh, you know, <laughs> I just had a client a couple of weeks ago talk about her little terrier mix, um, was perseverating over her daughter's guinea pig. Well, yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, that dog's genetics are saying kill small vermin. So, and again, that's on the spectrum, right? Like there's a lot of terriers that can get along with, you know, maybe small cats or whatever it might be, but their genetics are saying, you know, they have a lot of prey drive towards small vermin and, and hundreds of years have evolved that. And again, we have genetically selected for them to do a job and now we don't have a job for them. You know, so all these dogs are essentially kind of unemployed, um, maybe getting into trouble at home for eight hours during the day. So can we find a way for those terriers to use that really honed in fabulous skill that they have to do some kind of crittering? Um you know, and we'll talk a little bit about how we can kind of meet some of those needs. So, I mean, terriers, does your dog have any terrier in them? Um, and then the, the, the group that's close to my heart, of course, the sporting group, because I have flat-coated retrievers. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh my gosh, my dog carries everything in their mouth. Every time they go outside, they take a shoe or a sock. And yeah, they do. Like, if you look at what they're called, they're retrievers. <laughs> so they, they carry stuff in their mouth. And that is what we have genetically selected them for to do. Um, you know, they, they've been bred to work with a person outside and hunt for specific amounts of time. Um, you know, maybe an all-day hunt. I mean, I have a less uh, endurance breed. A flat coat isn't quite as an, an endurance hunter as some of the other retrievers. Um, but, but again, you know, look at what they're bred to do. They're, they're bred to be outside. You know, the spaniels, the sporting breeds, um, you know, they're meant to, to be outside and kind of walk in a certain pattern. Like we, we look at, if you look at how dogs naturally will move through space, they never move in a short, in a straight line. If you let your dog naturally kind of out in a field, they just don't walk straight, you know, through the center of the field. They will... Um, you know, they'll circle, they will um, kind of do a back and forth motion. Um, and what do we do? You know, we take our retrievers on a walk on the sidewalk that is a straight line. We walk in a straight line. We often discourage them from going left to right to left to right because it's annoying to us. But that's something that their genetics are saying to be more efficient as a sporting dog to move um, in that way where they take those big swings left to right and they cover it makes them more efficient as a sporting dog. So, um, 
that's something that we have to consider too. And, and, you know, sporting dogs are really, really popular. Lots and lots of golden retrievers and Labradors and the mixes of um, poodles, which are a really heavy sporting breed with some of the goldens and the Labradors. So considering kind of those things is, is, is going to be really important. Um, you know, and so, so think about that. So, so if you consider, you know, for a minute, think about the breed that you have and even making a little laundry list of, you know, I have a, you know, a beagle mix of some sort, um, or a, you know, a, a husky shepherd mix, you know, okay. So if we look at genetically what that dog's genetics are telling them to do, you know, what if you made a list of, okay, so the husky, you know, run for long periods at a time. The shepherd um, is really good at boundaries, at protecting boundaries, which is really highly frustrating to a lot of German shepherd owners um, because their dogs get very um, upset with at fences, at front doors, at windows. Um, but, you know, shepherds were bred as a kind of a moving fence. You know, they kind of ran a line as a moving fence as they sent, you know, 500 sheep onto the hills in Germany and they kind of were a moving fence um, for those animals. And so that creates a lot of frustration um, for those dogs because their job is to guard this boundary. Um, and so think about that. If you wrote all of those things down and you said, these, this is what my dog's genetics are telling them to do, it will help you really come up with a plan of, okay, how can we meet that dog's needs so we, we don't create a lot of frustration in this dog? Um, and, you know, think about that. If you can imagine, and we all know this because of the last, like, year and a half, think about the things that bring you joy and that you feel fulfilled doing. And what if you weren't allowed to do those ever? You know, and if you think about our dogs, they're really actually like a captive animal. Like, how often do we allow them to make their own decisions? I mean, we tell them when they're going to eat, where they're going to poop, when they're going to pee, where they're going to drink water, where they're going to sleep, where we're going to walk. Um, you know, so I think it, it, it's allowing to allowing them some decision making is it can go a really long way. And there's a lot of really cool research on consent in the dog cognition world and how how that will make dogs a lot more optimistic. So so a good exercise, I think, for all of our podcast listeners is think about what what breed your dog is or what you think it is. Um, and what was that dog bred to do? Um, because that'll help us come up with a little bit of problem solving as far as what could we do to meet these dogs' needs. Um, so what can we do? You know, one of the biggest things I think that's easy for all of us that doesn't take a whole, you know, 100 by 100 ring, square foot ring of agility equipment or owning, you know, a barn where they can you know, chase mice in, um, are just sniff walks. And I've talked about these a lot on here. Um, you know, how sniff walks are just a fabulous way to meet some of your dog's needs. And a sniff walk is taking your dog to a natural place where there's no triggers. You know, so if your dog is worried about sounds or other dogs or kids on skateboards or whatever, taking them to a safe space on a long line. My favorite thing is a harness and a long line, like 25 feet long, 25 foot long line. And just kind of allowing them to smell, you know, let them make their own decision. They want to smell a mole hole for 20 minutes. You're going to stand there and smell a mole. Well, you're not going to smell a mole for 20 minutes, but you're going to stand there and let them smell. And then they're going to go to another one. Um, and so you're, you're going to let them kind of make their own choices in that moment and let them smell. And that is just such a powerful, I think, um, piece to give them some consent in moving around that space, but also to meet some of those needs. I mean, every single dog 
that's out there has a really, really well-developed sense of smell and that big, you know, organ in their nose that helps them, you know, decipher smells. And so allowing them to do that is a really, really fabulous way to meet the, I think the needs of any dog really, um, you know, where can you do this? Sniff Spot. Again, we've talked about Sniff Spot, how that is a fabulous resource for a lot of people. Um, Sniffspot.com. Um, there's three now in the Eau Claire area. So that's quite fantastic that we have three options to take your dog to do sniffy walks. Um, you know, if you have a safe space, you know, near your house, near your neighborhood, that's another option that you can find. And what we're doing is we're, we're allowing our dog to do natural dog behaviors where we can meet some of their needs. And, and gosh, that's so powerful in reducing undesirable behaviors at home. Um, obviously, more is better. We don't all have time to do that. But can you really, really take some time during the week to commit to allowing your dog to just be a dog? You know, no walks on concrete where you're going to decide we're going to do this like two mile loop. Um, can you take them to like the empty field, you know, on the corner that you found on the way out to your grandma's house and just let them smell and be a dog with no agenda? And I always like say that when you take your dog on a sniff walk, it's almost like you're, you're, taking them to a museum and you're just kind of following them around and letting them look at what ex whatever exhibit they would like to look at. So a sniff walk is a really powerful way to meet some of their needs. And for any breed, my gosh, you could take like a four pound Pekingese um, out to do a little sniff walk. Um, and so it really, any breed can really benefit from this, you know, half hour to an hour is fabulous. More is always better, which I know in the winter, some dogs can't quite, <laughs> quite handle that. Um, flirt poles are a good way to kind of meet some of that prey drive in dogs. Um, you know, if you, if you look up flirt poles, you can make your own. Um, one of my favorites is made by Outward Hound. It's called a tail teaser. Um, that can meet some of that like prey drive, um, needs. If you have a dog that, that is, is, is something they were genetically kind of set up to do. Um, and then all the dog sports, my gosh, there's so many amazing dog sports and you don't necessarily have to be in a group class, um, to do a lot of these. I mean, you can make up agility in your backyard. You can, um, you know, let them kind of go crittering behind the neighbor's back shed if it's allowed. Um, uh, you know, uh, skajoring. I mean, I love skajoring with my own dogs and they're not, you know, Arctic breeds. Um, putting them in harness and running with them. Um, and so really, really take some time to look into what your dog was bred to do and how can you meet some of the needs that they, that their genetics are, are telling them. Um, a really great resource um, for a lot of this information is Kim Brophy's book called Meet Your Dog. Um, I think it's really hard to find a copy of it right now, actually. <laughs> so it's it's become so popular, especially among us dog trainers. Um, but we'll reference um, maybe that in the show notes. And then, um, again, Molly Sumridge's work at Carroll College is, is fantastic, too. So those are some, some good resources. I think if you, everyone that reads the Kim Brophy Meet Your Dog book, I think they really um, can say, oh, my gosh, Heather, they talked about my dog in this book. <laughs> And it's true. They, they, she references, you know, all of the breeds and what the specifics are, whether you have a sight hound or a guard type dog, um, you know, a, a new or old world dog, as we, she calls the primitive dogs, a terrier, um, you know, a, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. So 
you know, it's it's a good, just a really good educational resource for any dog owner. You don't have to be a dog trainer. You don't have to even be interested in canine behavior. But I think to meet your dog's needs and to be a better dog parent, um, it's such a great way to understand kind of where they're coming from because we often a lot of these behaviors that our dogs do, people end up punishing them. And which is really, really sad because the dog's genetics are telling them this is what they should be doing. Um, and so you take, you know, the, the, the border collie, the German shepherd that's barking at people that go by the house and people are using like a shock collar. And that dog is doing a behavior that genetics are telling them to do. And it's so, so disheartening and sad to me to see some of these natural behaviors be really frowned upon when could there be a way that we could channel some of their needs um, into something better. I mean, I can't imagine a day where my need, my biggest need is getting outside. Like I have to be outside every day for an extended period of time or I might go crazy. If someone took that away from me, I would probably go into a deep hole <laughs> um, just because that's a need that, that, has to be met for me to live my life contently. So um, think about that. And I really challenge you to kind of write some of the things down that your dog needs. Um, certainly contact us if you need some good ideas at um, EmbarkDog.com. If you look at our website um, and and look at some, some, if you need some help with this. Um, but what are some ways you can meet your dog's needs? I really challenge everyone. And it's just a good way to, to help all dogs, even if they don't have any kind of behavior issues that you're trying to help them with. Um, but think about that. And I really encourage you to not use punishment with some of these behaviors because your dog's genetics are guiding some of their behaviors. And that's just incredibly unethical as a pet parent to try to squash some of these behaviors that your dog's genetics are, are th that we as humans have genetically selected for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, um, look up Kim Brophy's book. We'll reference it in the show notes um, and send any questions your way and research your breeds. I think that's a really important piece um, if you know kind of what your dog's combination is so that you can help them meet some of these needs. <laughs>